We're continuing in our series, The Glorious Body of Christ, talking about the church. And I wanted to begin by noting that when you talk about churches, what they say the church is, how it should function, is probably one of the areas where we disagree the most, but might be of the least significance of things we disagree about, i.e., what's the difference between Presbyterians and Episcopals? Well, one big difference is form of church government or Baptist form of church government and all these various things. So we will hit on some things where we disagree with others, but all of them are not of necessarily primary importance, though they are important. Um, just want to say that out front. But just a quick review. We've been talking about how the church is described as one holy Catholic. And what did we say Catholic meant? Universal and apostolic church. And yet we said we tend to emphasize some of those more than the others. And that's going to actually be something that happens in this next part. Over the next few weeks, we'll look at the church's purpose. Now, if you've ever been to a business meeting, you should know the church's purpose. Because Keith keeps it on the first screen every time. What's the purpose of our church? Exalt the Lord. Okay. Yeah. Boy, it sounds like a college graduation. Anyone paying attention out here? Have to tell Keith to emphasize the next time. All right, well, this is what it says on our website. We're a community of individuals from all walks of life who've been graciously redeemed by Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And then it says, as a church, we're united by one purpose, to exalt God, to equip the saints, and evangelize our world. So, kind of like the Trinity, one, but in three. Uh, or, that's on our website, and our constitution is very similar. It says, our ministry exists to glorify God by fashioning authentic disciples of Christ who manifest this growth through, one, the exaltation of God in worship, two, the edifying and equipping of saints for service, and three, the evangelization for the lost. And so, the church has, you know, ultimately one purpose. We're here to glorify God, but... He's given us three ways we do that. We do that through exalting him. We do that through building up one another and going out and reaching the lost. However, as with the identity of the church, we tend to emphasize one of these. You know, maybe a church has grown cold and they're not doing reaching out and they just kind of show up on a Sunday. So people in the church go, you know what? This is wrong. We need to be reaching out. So they start a new church. It's all about reaching out. But that's all it's about. It's all about reaching out. And after a few years, people are then going, you know what? We reach all these people, but then they never grow. This is what a church should be like. Church should be training people. Once they, they should grow in discipleship, it's not just about evangelism. So then well, we need to start a new church. So then they start a church that focuses on discipleship. And they teach and teach and teach. But then they lose heart for reaching the lost. So then they're really good at discipleship. So then another church goes, oh, we need to evangelize. <laughs> And so we swing from side to side rather than going, well, no, we need to do all three. We should be exalting God, encouraging one another, and evangelizing. And so today we're going to focus on this first one, exaltation. It'll actually take us two weeks. But as I say these things, they're not meant to be said in neglect of the other two, but just to focus in on it more. As a church, we're called to do all three of these. And I'd argue if we focus on only one, we'll ultimately hurt the other two. But let's begin by noticing God's commands for worship. We have lots of verses here. We'll start with Stephanie. Can you turn to Exodus 20, verse 3? We'll just go in order. David, Psalm 33, 1. Chris, Psalm 65, 1. Mom, Psalm 6832. That's my mom, not your mom. Sarah, Psalm 6934. Arnaldo, Psalm 98.4. Olivia, Psalm 113.3. Corbin, you got a long one. Psalm 150. It's only six verses. And then I'll do Matthew 4, 9 through 10. All right, so what's the first commandment? First command, we're to worship God. Primary command from which all others flow. Psalm 33, verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Befits the upright. You know, befits. That's what's fitting. 
Or you may, as we raise our children, someone gives them a gift, and what do we say? Tell them thank you. Because why? That's fitting. That's what you should do. Well, since we're God's creatures, what's fitting for God's creatures to do? Praises be fitting. That's what we should do. Or Psalm 65, 1. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be before. Yeah, it's his due. It's what he is owed. Or Psalm 68, verse 32. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God, sing praises to the Lord. So not just individuals, but kingdoms are to praise the Lord. Or Psalm 69, 34. So not just people, inanimate creation. And it said the heavens, earth, seas, everything that moves. So that would be animate actually. But those that are not alive, the skies don't move per se. Um, Psalm 98, 4. And so there, again, we're to sing praises to the Lord. Psalm 113.3 tells us when we're to praise. Sorry. So once we get to sundown, we can stop praising God? No. That's all-encompassing is what it's saying. All the time, we're to praise the Lord. Psalm 150 is the last psalm, 150 psalms, and says exactly what we should do. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Over and over in Psalm 150, praise the Lord. It gives us reasons we should praise the Lord, how we should praise the Lord. And so this is a command that we are to praise. It's not just, well, you know, this is okay, or this is something you might want to do, but we're commanded in. This was the first temptation, or one of the t- temptations. Keith has been looking at this. Matthew 4, verse 9 says, And Satan said to Jesus, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. So, primary one of the primary ways Satan wants to tempt Jesus and us is to worship other things. And yet here, a lot of people will go, Hold on. Worship is not an event. Worship's all of life. And yes, Except we're going to see, though that's true and we're going to focus on that, we can apply that in ways that aren't helpful. But it is true. Worship is all of life. Some more verses. Stephanie, could you turn to Romans 12.1, David's Romans 1.25, and Ashley, 1 Corinthians 7.5. And when you get there, Stephanie, will you read Romans 1.25? Oh, sorry, 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Yeah, we, these verses are familiar to us, so I didn't put all the verses, but you know, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Here, your body can be used for your worship. We present our bodies. And... When God describes the human condition, what we've done, he describes it in terms of false worship. Romans 1.25 Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Yeah, so here, they're worshiping the creation. That's what our sin is. We worship something else. You know, worship is not merely an event. It's all of life. What do you say is worth the most? What is most valuable? And yet, some wrongly conclude from this, from the truth that all of life is worship, that there are no distinctions or different degrees of importance in worship. I worked for a camp 
And in the morning, and back, this is when I was in college. And in the morning, we gave the students time to have devotions, quiet times, whatever you call them. And one time I was going through the camp and I saw this guy doing this like Tai Chi stuff. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm doing my morning devotions. And I said, well, you're supposed to be like reading your Bible and praying. He goes, well, this is how I connect with God. And if you take the truth that all of life is worship, then you could say, well, you're right. Because if everything is equally worshipful, well, then whether I do Tai Chi or whether I flip an omelet or whether I read my Bible, it's all worship. Why does it matter? And yet, we instinctively should know, and though it's not always instinctual, there are differences of degree. Yes, all of life can be worship, but that doesn't mean it's all equally important or all equally things that God commands us. I'm going to have um, 1 Corinthians 7, 5 read by Ashley here in just a minute. And in it, the context, just so you know what's going on, is Paul is talking about talking to this church because some of them are depriving one another of intimacy and marriage. And Paul's then going to tell them, actually, you should do that some for a purpose. Well, that is implying that some things are better than others. So 1 Corinthians 7, 5, if you don't mind. So here he's saying, yes, intimacy with marriage is good, but maybe it'd be good for a time to have something better, prayer. Now, again, that's not to say that all of these things are always better. I mean, you can neglect tasks you should be doing because you're doing quote-unquote spiritual things. Well, I'd love to help you, but um, I'm reading my Bible. Uh, you know, sometimes we need to close our Bible and go help someone, but sometimes we need to stop doing everything else and open our Bible. And we're not going to look at it today, but next time we'll see there are commands for things we are to do in public worship. These things have more value. And so we need to remember that though God says we can worship Him in all of life, there are certain activities that He desires us to do when we gather together. One man, Edmund Clowney, writes, In private, as in public, a worship activity such as prayer is distinguished from the regular activities of life. Though we do all to the glory of God, not all that we do is the special activity of worship. As as a church, we're wanting to encourage people to both a worship service and a lifestyle. Not one or the other, not one or the other, but both. You know, we don't have to choose one or the other. But I'm sure you've heard someone say something like this. I'm curious how you would respond. What would you say if someone said, well, I worship God better when I, you can fill in the blank, at the golf course, on my back porch, reading my Bible by myself, at my lake house, it's so serene, and, or when I'm just alone. That's, I really connect with God more there. Is this a question? How would you respond? Well, that might be for you, but for me, that's worship. I used to go to church, but, you know, I, they always wanted me to do stuff. Churches are bad about that. And then there's conflicts, and I got tired of all that. And when I'm here by myself, I read. I even listen to sermons. It's so peaceful. I just, I really connect better with God. And all of life's worship, so I don't really see the point of gathering with people. Say, you might be thinking, good arguments. I'm going with that guy. <laughs> I say, yeah, I mean, it's good that you're connecting with God personally, but you see in what Scripture says, it's also connecting with Him corporately. It's always, uh, let us praise the Lord. You know, all of us, you know, Hebrews even says, gather together and don't forsake the gathering. Okay. And as far as listening to pastors on sermons, that's okay, but they're not your pastor. <laughs> you can't, what happens if life gets rough? I have Christian friends, that's right. Yeah, but that's true. <laughs> but, well, your Christian friends might say, well, you need to talk with someone, probably the church leadership, to kind of get more direction because that person could be unequipped for what they're going through. Okay. I would warn them the dangers of, it sounds like the 
STEM centered, you are preferring to do it a certain way, and God doesn't say that David will worship him in this way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's. Six days a week. <laughs> well, God has equipped you with spiritual gifts so that you can equip others and so we can be fellowship is one for Yeah. Well, that, you know, this person, our hypothetical person, is saying true things, good things, but like you all have hinted hit it in a lot of ways. There's other things God also commands to serve one another in the local body, submit to your elders. Well, who are your elders if you don't gather with anybody? How are you going to practice something like church discipline if you're not part of a church, which is you know, a command? Uh, so there's all these other things. And so as I said at the beginning, we often take one aspect and we focus only on that. This person is only focusing on the exaltation purpose. Well, what about the equipping and edifying and other aspects of church life. Um, how have you or have you seen people apply this kind of worship is, an, is a lifestyle, not an event, So, and then apply that in a way that is not helpful? Or maybe I'm the only one who's interacting. Sometimes people use what I think of as sacred language to describe normal events. Okay. Could you maybe give us an example? If not, that's fine. Well, that's fine. Anyone else have thoughts? Of, have they seen this? I mean, again, this is true. We don't want to deny the truth of it, that you can worship God. I mean, that was kind of the premise of our whole technology series. That you can worship God with your technology. However, we can apply a truth in a way that is not correct. Well, that's just straight up taking stuff out of context. <laughs> well, yes, but we do it a lot. So, all right, well, if you think of others, you can go, oh, that's what we were hitting at. Well, I want to see that God is concerned for right worship. So, Let's pass out some verses again. Chris, Exodus 24 through 7. Mom, if you could turn to Genesis 4, 5. Sarah to Leviticus 10, 1 through 2. Arnaldo, Exodus 32, 4 through 5. Olivia, 1 Samuel 15, 22. Corbin, Amos 5, 21 through 24. Tracy, Isaiah 29, 13. And then we'll look at John 4, 20 through 24. All right, Chris, when you're ready, Exodus 24 through 7. Okay. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them or serve them, for I... The Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so there, God says, first commandment, worship me. And then the second commandment, he tells them how to worship him. Don't worship me with images don't worship me in the way you think i'm showing you how to worship and we see that played out in the old testament because genesis 4 5 it says but for cain and his offering he had no regard so cain was very angry and his face, his face fell so here cain was bringing an offering to god and that's a lot of the way people think well you approach god this way i approach god this way as long as we're going to god why does it matter but from the very beginning 
Genesis, we hear there's worship given to God that God does not accept. Or Leviticus 10, 1 through 2. So they were offering this to the Lord, and yet the Lord was not pleased with what they were offering. Arnaldo, would you read Exodus 32, 4 through 5? And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee. Uh, so, what did so I should have painted the context? This story of the golden calf. What did they say? What who, this golden calf? What was it? Who was it? What did it do? Well, that's what we know that yes. But what did they say it did? Okay, so they're saying this is what brought us up out of Egypt, and then they're going to have a feast to it. And end of verse five, who did it say the feast is for? To the Lord. So they're trying to worship God. Now I don't know about you, but I've been in lots of Christian worship services where the lead pastor, worship person, whatever you call them, have various names, various churches, says, y'all worship God however you feel led. But, you know, we've looked at three stories where they worshiped how they felt led. And in each case, God was very displeased. Now, with Cain, we didn't see punishment as directly, but with Nadab and Ahabihu, very clear punishment, and with the nation of Israel, very clear punishment. Now, some people were going to go, wait, hold on, and what are they going to say in contradiction? Their heart was not in the right place. Okay, their heart was not in the right place. That's Old Testament. Yeah, that's the Old we got rid of all those regulations. Now we're free to worship. However, or maybe you're thinking that too. So what would you say? Would you agree with that? Or would you go, well, maybe there's some things that we still need to consider? Or Okay. Okay. Well, the parts he upheld were mainly the Ten Commandments, not like that. You know, we don't have priest, per se. We don't have certain Sabbath days and year of Jubilee. We do have the example of the early church, though, and how they worship. Okay. Like, I don't think we have complete freedom to do anything we want in how we worship. Okay. Well, let's look at a couple more principles, and then we'll look at some things the New Testament says. 1 Samuel 15, 22. This is kind of a broad principle. And Samuel said, Has the Lord, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. And here, we're even seeing in the Old Testament kind of this idea that worship is a lifestyle. That Worship must begin in your life. You know, if you come to worship and yet you're not obeying God, he doesn't find that pleasing. Because Saul, they were going to attack, I forget, it might be the Amalekites here, and Samuel hadn't come. And people were starting to leave. And so he's like, I got to do the sacrifice. And he did the sacrifice to the Lord. And yet it wasn't his position it wasn't his role and the to obey is better than sacrifice or i think we could apply that is to obey is better than worship you know today's mother's day i know a lot of moms would say if you would obey today that would be the best gift <laughs> there could be no fighting that would be the best gift 
You know, I'd rather y'all do what I say than get all the gifts. The gifts are great, but y'all do what I want. That's what I really would like to see. Um, to obey is better than all the other things. And so, same with the Lord. And so it's interesting that throughout the Old Testament, God often tells them to stop worshiping. I gave one example, Amos 5, 21 through 24. I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Yeah. It's pretty strong. You know, you're gather, they're gathering to do the exact worship that God commanded. So again, it's not just following the commands. It's having the right heart. So it's both of these. It's not lifestyle. It's not event. It's both. The event that's accompanied by the right lifestyle. Again, not just the lifestyle, but the lifestyle that's accompanied with the event. We don't need to choose one or the other. It's both together. One more famous verse, Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. Jesus quotes this in the New Testament. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. No, that's fine. So they're honoring God with their lips, but their hearts far away. You're only doing going through the motions because that's what they've been told, the commandments of men. And so, you know, clearly, if you look at the Old Testament, there are more guidelines, more restrictions for worship. But that doesn't mean once we come to the New Testament, we have a blank slate. You know, as Keith Corbin and I start thinking of what we're going to do every Sunday, we don't go, you know, what do we want to do this Sunday? Well, we have no idea where to start. What should we do? Well, no, there's things the New Testament commands us to do. And we're going to look at those next week. But what, off the top of your head, what are some commands in the New Testament? We'll dive into these more next week, but we'll go ahead and write some on the board. That we are to do in worship. Okay, so there's kind of a structure orderly. And what did you say? Uh, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. All right, we're, we'll just some shorthand. Sing. So we're commanded, Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, to sing. It's not an option. I mean, as they gathered together to pray, it's not explicitly said that they did. That, that we are commanded to, but it is explicitly said that they did. Yeah, we see the pattern. Jesus says, my house shall be a house of prayer. We'll hear more of that next week. But when Paul is instructing Timothy, he says, let y'all should pray. I don't think that's just individually. So, Preach. Okay, well, how do we know that's what we should do? They gathered. They gathered when the church gathered, they gathered on the apostles' teaching. And every time the church gathered, there was preaching. Yeah. And... I believe it's First Timothy 4. Paul commands Timothy, preach the word. So that wasn't, hey, you know, as you're thinking about the various multitude of options of what you could do, one of the things you should consider is preaching. Well, that was a command. When you gather, there should be the preaching of the word. So that's not, hey, you know, churches have always done this. We need to just continue it. You know, we don't just do it because of tradition. That's a command of the New Testament. Okay, well, we could put ordinances or some kind it's called baptism <clears throat> Lord's Supper having that next week singing prayer and preaching all fall under edification yeah each other. did you say yeah well we say giving Paul tells them on the first day of the week when you gather together set something aside that was a command so, you know, these are all things, and we're going to dive into those some next week, that should guide our worship. So, let's 
reflect on that though, because we need to realize there's the commands and then there's the circumstances of worship that aren't necessarily a command. I.e., are we commanded or not commanded to have a morning or a night service? No. To have chairs, pews, or sit on couches? We're not told. Are we allowed to have screens? Or should we have hymnals? Or should we have nothing? Well, those are all circumstances of worship that you may think, oh, those are, I mean, who would ever think of stuff like that? Churches have split over such things. I was talking to a man just two weeks ago. He grew up in a very small church, very, he said, legalistic, where the church split because one group said, Jesus said, this is my body, one body broken for you. So when we take communion, we need to have one loaf. But then the other said, but this is my body broken. And he took the bread and he broke it. So we should break the bread. We should. And so the first group, you have one loaf and you all pull a piece of his body. No, the other group says you break it and then you distribute the two halves. And they split. Sounds transubstantiation in some, in some sense, but not really. Yeah, I would say monkey bread, but then that's going whole. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, you just pull, you're all taking from his body. You can't break Jesus' body. I'm not agreeing or disagreeing, I'm just saying. We can get caught up on the circumstances of worship and miss what's going on. As well, I've mentioned this several times when we're reading the Bible, we need to realize the difference, and I'll write this on the board, the difference between a description. Anyone remember what the other one is? Prescription. Yeah, so someone, what is, what are the, what is the difference between those? Yeah. So you go to the doctor and he says, you have a runny nose, sore throat. We ran a swab and it came back. You have strep throat. That's a description. So what you need to do is, here's a prescription. This is what you need to go do. And a lot of times when people read the Bible, they read what's described and go, oh, that's prescribed. So one we'll look at next week. They met in homes. We should be meeting in homes because that's what the early church did. And the problem is that churches are now so focused on buildings and it's wasting time and energy. If we could return to the early church like them when we met in homes, that's what we should be doing. Well, that's describing what happened, but is that a command for what we should do? Or Acts 2.42 um, is a great verse. Talk about how the early church met for... Fellowship, breaking of bread, apostles teaching and preaching and prayer. Those are all good things. Now, is that saying, is that a commandment that every time we get together, we should have all four of those? Well, I don't think so. I think it's describing what often happened, and we should try to emulate that. But I don't think that was an order of service that we need to make sure we have fellowship, breaking of bread every time we're together, all these things. So we have to realize the difference between prescription and description. So there's a couple broad principles. I didn't put one of the verses on here, but we're going to look at John 40, 20 through 24, and then 1 Corinthians 14 will be the next one, and that will be what we wrap up on. But first, John 4, 20 through 24. I forget who read last. Who's that? I think I All right, Tracy. So, Stephanie, could you read that for us? Here, Jesus has sat down, and a woman, this is the woman at the well, Samaritan woman, they talk about worship. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neighbor, or neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from Jew, the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are 
that God worshipers will follow suit. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. All right. The two big prescriptions for worship there, Jesus said, are? Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. So what do those mean? Truth is what God has revealed in his word. So anything that we say to worship God that is not his word is not truth. Yeah. And this may seem like, well, no, duh, but there are plenty of churches who introduce things that, well, we feel like, you know, language, like we connect with God this way. Well, is it true? Is that the way God wants us to connect with him? All right, so truth in line with his word, his revealed character. What about spirit? Smart, smart words. <laughs> yeah, it's not just external, as we read Isaiah earlier, just not just worshiping with your lips while your heart or your spirit is far from them. Now, spirit, you know, we actually don't know. This could be the Holy Spirit. Some people take it that way. Um, could be both. You got to worship through the spirit, through the spirit of God. Um, but so those are two broad principles. When we gather, you know, here are some elements. And we need to make sure that those elements are done according to truth. And that it's not just a mere ritual. It's led by the Spirit of God. And our spirit is engaged in it. Now in this, and this may seem like another, like, well, of course, but not so sure it always happens. And that is, when we come to public worship, the goal is to exalt God. I mean, that may seem like, well, of course. But Isaac Watts writes several hundred years ago, to little purpose we go to church if we seek not, if we see not God there. It is well if all our public worship is viewed as an appearance before God, for it would then be a sure mark of grace to so delight in it. Alas, how many appear before the minister or their fellow parishioners? And that is enough. And that for them, that is enough. And a lot of people, you know, they come, got to make sure they see me. Uh, we still have that here in Wichita Falls where a lot of people are Christian. So, hey, got to go to church and run for office in town. Better make sure you're more faithful at services the year before your election. Um, join a certain church or whatever. You know, you're not going to worship God. You're going so everyone else can notice what you're doing. And even today, I think often we get so caught up on the individual that we lose sight that we're here to worship God. Now, I don't know the hearts of the people who do stuff like this, so they might have better reasons for why they use this phrase, but I'm always nervous when I see churches describe their gathering as a worship experience. You may see that language. Um, they might have good, if we ask them, they might give answers like, oh, that's a good reason to say it that way. But when I see that, it makes me concerned, at least on the surface, because that strikes me of more of what am I getting out of it then what am i coming to do worship service is me i'm coming to offer rather worship experiences what am i coming to get now again if we sat down and talked to some of those churches that use that language they might say well we don't mean that and they might explain it better and so okay i don't know what their motivation but we can see this where it's more about me now we talked about this a few weeks ago it's not like we don't benefit from it but what's our is our primary going to honor the lord or I got to feel a certain way while I'm there. I got to have a certain experience for it to be worship. Tom Rainer tells this following true story. Says the new contemporary service at 8:30 provided the first growth the church has seen in two decades. The previous year attendance had dipped from 75 to 62, but the new service added 30 people in average attendance. So the church was at a five-year high of 92 in worship attendance. As members invited friends to the service, I kept hearing the same refrain. We like the service, but it would be better for us and our children if the service was later. The solution seemed simple. Move the traditional service to 8.30 and the contemporary service to 11. Wrong. The change required a church vote. 
At least that's what some of the members said. No one could find any confirmation, so it was time for the meeting. It was time for the business meeting from Hades. The exchange of words was harsh. Accusations were made. Guitars were declared to be of the devil. One member declared he'd let the church die before that change was made. He would get his way eight years later. The vote was not close. Nothing changed. Well, that's not exactly true. The first service ceased five weeks later. Attendance dropped to 43 by the end of the year, and less than eight years later, the church closed its doors. Rainer goes on to say, A church cannot survive long-term where members are focused on their own preferences. My music style, my desired length and order of worship services, my desired color and design of buildings and rooms, my activities and programs, my need of ministers and staff, my, my, my. Now, my point in sharing that is not to say we need to move to a contemporary service. That's not the point at all. But to say you would hope that people would go, this is exciting. This is the first growth we've had in years. You know, maybe they end up not changing or maybe they find some other option. But to say you're sinning, pretty much you're implying that if you say their music is of the devil. Um, and we're not going to allow it. Well, that's saying, no, I want my, my, my. And a lot of people, when they come to church, they sadly pick church because it fits all their preferences. Oh, this is a very traditional service. This is a liturgical service. And they pick on all the trappings around worship. Now, those aren't bad. But if you have to have a certain style of songs, a certain type of instrument, instrumentation, a certain aura, or are you coming to worship God or to get your type of experience that you want to have. Again, we have to ask, why are we coming to worship? Um, quick question, then we might look at 1 Corinthians 14. So, but why do you think so many Christians think it is up to each person to decide how they worship? Because I would say that's the dominant refrain of, well, I mean, we're just all different. You worship one way, I this way. Well, doesn't matter. Okay. And to reinforce what Sarah said, they'll say, I'm, I'm hearing truth and then spirit. Okay. So, like what you said, and I'm hearing truth and then spirit. How does that add to the religion? All right. Others? I think a lot of times we emphasize on our personal walk with Jesus. Now, yes, all of us should have that personal walk with Jesus, but we make it very personal to where it's all about me and Jesus, not Jesus and us, you know, regarding the church. So we make it very, in, so, so a lot of churches make it very individualistic teaching thing. Yeah, you got worship God this way, but you know, you got to do what makes you, you know, feel right with him or something like that. Yeah. And again, we're not trying to say it's one or the other, it's both. We should have that personal worship and the public. David, you're going to say something. I was going to say, maybe we're just afraid to approach someone that we might offend them. So we say, as long as they are experiencing God, or as long as they have God, or Yeah. Years ago, um, when I was at Arrowhead, we, we had one unfortunate, um, I wouldn't say incident, but it was one where I kind of wish I had said something. But this uh, nursery worker decided to bring in a little glass, stained glass frame that had the Virgin Mary on it. And she thought it would be appropriate for us to have that there. Well, I should have said something, but since I'm more of a kind of discreetly do kind of person back then, I uh, I hid the stained glass window. But for, unfortunately, it kept appearing time and time again, but nobody else said to this lady, uh, that we, don't, we don't do that. We don't worship the Virgin Mary. But she thought it was bringing in some... I guess, high spiritual order for us. Cat and mouse with the picture. Interesting. <laughs> we'll turn to 1 Corinthians 14. We'll end with this. Uh, we're going to read... 
most of it. Um, why don't just everyone read two verses and then you can pass. So we'll start, Mom, with you if you can start in verse 1 and 1 and 2 and then Sarah 3 and 4 and so on. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to man but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for edification, encouragement, and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I would that they all speak with tongues, but rather that they but rather that you prophesy, for greater it is that he prophesies than he that speaketh with tongues, except in except he interpret Also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. to be. I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind, oh, mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words with a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, will I speak to his people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, but if all prophecy and an unbeliever or all prophesy, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must be silent. 
Now prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the church. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If there is any, anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, you should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy, do not forbid it speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. All right, so there's a lot in there. In one minute, we're not going to be able to answer everything. So I'll just throw that out front. Uh, but we see some general broad principles. We'll dive into them more next week. But what are some of the broad principles? We already said one. Yeah. Should be understandable. So... Though it may be mysterious, we don't speak in Latin. And we're not looking for a mystery. We shouldn't leave going, oh, in the sense of, that was so complex, I just can't even get it. Should be understandable. What type of people should be in the service? It says believers and unbelievers. Yeah. And there it says, in your midst, the unbeliever will hear. Because sometimes people will say, well, we don't want unbelievers to come join us. Well, here there's this clear pattern that unbelievers are gathering in the worship service. Unbelievers are gathering in the believer's worship service. Which kind of goes against uh, people who are saying, well, the church is meant for unbelievers. Uh, true, but it's also meant for believers, too. Yeah. And decently and orderly. Well, we could say more. We'll say more next week. Any final thoughts as we wrap up? All right.